So the media Wednesday morning is attacking President Trump because he's never visited the troops. Only president in recent history. How dare he not visit the troops? Meanwhile, President Trump is on Air Force One as they speak, headed to Iraq to visit the troops. I mean, you can't make it up. And what do they do instead of apologizing? The media shifts to the attack. It's, well, why did he wait so long? He should have visited them sooner. <laughs> Meanwhile, of course, the media doesn't realize they never announce this stuff in advance. When President Trump goes to visit a war zone, Iraq or Afghanistan, any president, they never announce it beforehand for security reasons. And they like surprising the troops. It's actually very nice to boost their morale. You know, suddenly the media cares about the troops. By the way, the troops were extremely supportive of President Trump, despite the fact that he supposedly is undermining the military with his decision to pull out of Syria. And, uh, you know, one soldier actually said that he joined the military because he was inspired because President Trump was elected president. Pretty amazing. Uh, and by the way, the media right now is trying to blame President Trump for the stock market turmoil. The last few weeks, we haven't reported about this much. I really don't believe that the stock market reflects the overall economy, at least as much as, as it impacts most people. I, I think there are other metrics like unemployment, wages, other metrics that are far more important to most of our lives day to day. The stock market is more of a niche type of area. But the bottom line is there are so many factors that affect the stock market. It's almost impossible to pin it on any one thing, which is and, and it always long term, the stock market always goes up. Yeah, it'll take dips. It'll have corrections as it's ha as has been happening here the last few weeks. It'll rise and fall and rise and fall. But I don't discuss it week to week because I really don't believe that it's a good indicator. But the fact is, yesterday it had its largest rally in history. The media is blaming the Trump turmoil on the threat of a Trump impeachment now that Pelosi's taken over the House. That's not Trump's doing. That's the Democrats. If you say that the threat of impeachment is bringing down the market, is causing all this instability, people, are, the, the investors are getting nervous. That's the Democrats, you know, but the media doesn't care as long as they can mention impeachment in the headline. They're thrilled. It doesn't matter that if you read the story that it's actually blaming Pelosi for the uh, stock market turmoil. All right. Former ICE director, speaking of Pelosi, former ICE director Tom Homan has blasted Nancy Pelosi for her claims that the border wall is ineffective. Pelosi had this interview. She claimed that President Trump is lying when he says that we need a border wall. And she says border walls don't work anyway. So former ICE director, here are some quotes. Every place a wall has been built, it has resulted in decreased illegal immigration, decreased drug smuggling. 100% of the time it has proven effective. So he says that Pelosi is flat out wrong. And then as far as Pelosi says that Trump is fear-mongering and that he's using scare tactics because the border's not so bad after all. This is what Pelosi's claiming. So here's what Tom Homan says, quote, Look at the data on the border. Arrests of MS-13 gang members is up 118%. The seizure of guns are up almost 200%. He said it's simple, plain data. You can't deny it. You cannot dispute it. The numbers say it all. The danger, the threat right now is massive. See, here's what Pelosi said. She said Trump is using scare tactics that are not evidence-based. And she said there are no terrorists coming across the border and there's no disease coming across the border. That's what Pelosi said. So Tom Homan says she's flat out wrong. There are terrorists coming across and there's disease coming across. Here, here's the quote from Homan. Quote, allow me to educate Mrs. Pelosi as far as crime coming across the border. 
ICE arrested 138,000 criminals last year. 138,000 criminals were arrested by ICE. People who entered the country illegally and committed crimes against people of the United States. And I, I, last year, ICE arrested, this is all Tom Homan, more than 2,000 homicide cases they arrested illegals, more than 11,000 weapons violations, and thousands of other criminals who came across the border illegally. And by the way, yes, they do deal with contagious diseases, including TB, measles, and chickenpox. In fact, Mr. Homan pointed out that this past year or last year, one illegal immigrant had this very rare strain of tuberculosis, and they had to figure out a way. They actually kept him quarantined for months at great taxpayer expense because if that TB, chas v'sholom, were to get into American society, that would be disastrous. All right, here we are, shutdown, day six of the shutdown, and the media is already planting the seeds, figuring out how they're going to blame President Trump for this. And depending on how this all plays out, it's going to be very interesting to watch but it could very well be a situation if the Republicans in the Senate kind of throw Trump under the bus and don't support him. This could be very, very tricky because, you know, President Trump may end up having to veto a bill. So the reports are that uh, the White House offered a counter offer uh, to the Democrats, to Schumer and Pelosi. Mike Pence delivered this offer of two point one billion dollars in wall funding rather than five billion these are the reports that President Trump is willing, or at least Mike Pence, because you never know what Trump's going to say. But, well, you, you offered 2.1? Mike, I never would have done that. you know. But either way, that's the report, is the offer is $2.1 billion in wall funding. And the question is, will Pelosi and Schumer give even one single penny for border wall funding? It'll be very interesting. Now, here's why this is so important for the Senate to stand by Trump. We started to mention this. It's, it's very likely the Senate is not going to pass the House budget, including $5 billion for the border wall, before January 1st. Extremely unlikely they need 60 votes. I don't believe they're going to use a nuclear option. So what's going to happen? Pelosi is going to take control of the House and the Democrats. They're going to pass a budget that, of course, does not has lots of liberal spending, but, of course, will not have a measly $5 billion for the border wall. I know $5 billion sounds like a lot, but it really is a drop in the bucket compared to the overall federal budget. So at that point, that's going to go to the Senate. And then the, the, the Democrats, the media, the whole world is going to try to say that McConnell's the guy to blame. Look at these Republicans. Look at McConnell. How dare he hold the American people hostage? That's going to be the narrative. The Democrats passed a bill. So now it's up to the Senate. And that's run by Republicans. And there's going to be enormous pressure, unthinkable pressure on Mitch McConnell and on the Republicans in the Senate because they're going to suddenly be blamed. Now, if they're smart, what they're going to do is shift the blame and say, no, 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 no. This is Schumer. This is Pelosi because we're more than willing. We'll cut a DACA deal. We'll help millions of illegals stay in this country. Maybe they shouldn't, by the way, but they're willing to do that. We'll do anything it takes. Give us the border wall. The American people want this. Will they do that? I don't know. But if the Senate does cave, and that may happen, and if they actually uh, pass the same budget that Pelosi, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but this is very likely how it's going to play out. And if the Senate then passes that bill, then it goes to President Trump, and he can either veto it. If he does nothing, then it eventually uh, takes effect, eventually goes into law. So we're going to have to wait and see. There, th this may end up being a scenario where Trump has to veto a budget because they refuse to fund his wall, or maybe the Senate Republicans will actually stand by Trump. All right, the asylum ban, President Trump has asked a court, an appeals court, to overturn the ruling. We told you that this went to the Supreme Court. I'm going to explain all this here momentarily, uh, all the 
details as far as the courts go. But President Trump is appealing the court of a low, uh, the, the ruling of a lower court that overturned his asylum ban. We told you about his asylum ban where he says you have to come through a legal port of entry. You can't just sneak in somewhere and decide that you want to demand asylum. You're only eligible for asylum if you came into the United States legally through a port of entry. And uh, that was overturned by a lower court. Now, that was taken to the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court did not rule on it. And I want to explain what that means. After the lower court ruling, normally there should be an appeals process. Normally, this is not scheduled to hit the Supreme Court for a while because, you know, it has to go through the system. It takes many, many months for it to kind of slog its way through the system, the court system. And so instead, what happened was because this is a pretty urgent matter dealing with the border, dealing with national security, the Trump administration asked the Supreme Court to please get involved so involved sooner than they normally would to grant a stay, issue a stay and to get involved in this case now instead of waiting the month that it's going to take until it actually goes through the system. And the Supreme Court, we told you five to four, they said they would not. They would not grant a stay and they would not hear this case right now. And and Justice, Chief Justice Roberts, of course, sided with the four liberal justices of the Supreme Court. That doesn't mean they were ruling on this. That doesn't mean they refused to hear the case. They're not scheduled to hear the case until it goes through all the necessary appeals. What Trump was doing was he was trying to fast track it. He was trying to get them to hear it early because it's such a big deal. Chief Justice Roberts obviously doesn't think it's that big a deal. Four justices, the the, the conservative justices, did think it was a big deal, but they lost to the five. So the Supreme Court, the point is that this may come before the Supreme Court in the future, after it goes through the whole process. And at that point, the Supreme Court may rule with President Trump. We have no idea. So the media was trying. So now what happened is now they actually filed their appeal in the lower court, the lower appeals court, and they're going to have to go through that whole process. That's what Trump did now since the Supreme Court won't hear it. So this thing has a long way to go. Now, uh, the media tried to spin this as a big loss for President Trump, you know, because Chief Justice Roberts, he's supposed to be conservative. He's a Bush appointee. And he's the one who said there's no such thing as a Bush judge and a Trump judge and an Obama judge. And now we see that Robert sided with the liberals. It's not true. This is a big win for Trump. And here's why. It's extremely rare for the Supreme Court to do this kind of thing, to, you know, to hear a case before it's gone through all the, the, the lower court, the lower appeals courts. It's very, very rare. So the fact that four justices, I know they're conservative, but even so, the fact that four justices were willing to do it is actually a big win for Trump because this is so rare. And Roberts, they say, he's very, he's a big stickler for going through the protocol and going through the correct procedure and, you know, letting things kind of run their course as opposed to rushing things. Ju Chief Justice Roberts doesn't like to rush things. So we're going to have to wait and see. Eventually, I suspect this will end up being heard by the Supreme Court. Now, as a caller pointed out, you know, there is a congressional statute. There's a statute. Now, what's the difference between a statute and a law and a bill? I don't know. Sometimes I get very cynical and I wonder if these legal people in, in government like using these fancy words because, you know, it makes it sound really sophisticated. But either way, there's a federal statute that was passed by Congress that says that an asylum seeker, it does not matter where they enter, even if they enter in an illegal port of entry. It says it pretty much straight out that even if they come in through an illegal port of entry, if they are looking for asylum, they must be granted their request for asylum if they qualify. So some are saying, how can any court possibly uphold this asylum ban? It's straight out in the statute. 
And here's the answer, as I understand it, and it's, it's very unclear if you read the news reports, the media reports, as expected, but here's how this works. President Trump, when it comes to matters of national security and immigration, the executive branch, the president, has enormously broad powers. Traditionally, you know, it's, it's the Constitution is, is a little bit vague about this, but they've given the president enormous leeway when it comes to issues of national security and immigration for the simple reason that he's in a position that Congress simply is not in. The president, you know, has to have powers whenever it comes to anything that, you know, foreign policy related, it's got to come down to the president because he knows things that nobody else knows. He understands it. You know, he's he that, that's his jurisdiction more than anybody else. So even if Congress passed this statute, the president very often can override a congressional statute if there's an urgent situation that arises. So, for example, let's say somebody tries to seek asylum, but the president knows the person's dangerous to the country. But technically, if you read the statute, this person technically qualifies. The president says, listen, this is not a good idea. This is going to be harmful for the country. Very often, he's legally allowed to do that, the president, because in matters of national security, he can override Congress. Congress's law was written as a general rule, but in specific scenarios, the president very often is given leeway to override that law. So that, I believe, is going to be the Trump administration's main argument here, or one of their main arguments. Uh, now, if you think about this statute, this statute was never, ever created for Mexicans and Guatemalans, you know, who have a tough situation in their home, they're very, they're, they're living in poverty, there's crime, terrible, terrible uh, places that, that they live in terrible situations, and they want a better life in the United States. I feel bad for them. My heart goes out to them, breaks for them. But that is not why the asylum law was created, not by a long shot. We're talking about people who are fleeing from Cuba, who were swimming, coming in boats and in, and in life rafts across from other countries, people who were fleeing third world countries where there were dictators, where they were literally being persecuted, genocide. I mean, you're talking about all sorts of refugees from really, really horrific countries where their lives were in danger. And, you know, they were basically being killed either because of their race, because of their religion. So you're talking about people who, who lived every day in fear of the, their own government basically just ripping them out of their house and just, you know, who knows what. I mean, just ending their lives right there on the spot. That's why the asylum statute is so broad because you're talking about people who were, you know, coming here on boats to try to escape Fidel Castro or try to escape, you know, Bashar al-Assad or who knows, some country in Africa where some evil dictator was killing them just because of who they were, because of the religion they were born into, or because of their skin color. And they, they, they lived under the threat of death from their own government. That's why the, the Congress passed this, this asylum law, allowing refugees in wherever they come in. You're not going to tell them they come in on a boat, and they were about to be killed by their own government. You're not going to say, well, sorry, go out and come back again in a port of entry. I mean, they're lucky that they made it. They're lucky that, they, that, that, that their boat didn't, didn't sink in, at sea, and they, they didn't drown. So, of course, you're going to let them into the country, but it's being gamed. It's being abused. This asylum statute now, people don't like uh, the, the, the crime in their neighborhood in Guatemala, Honduras. They don't like being poor in Honduras, so they want to come to the United States. And everybody knows there's Internet now. There are Democrats who are supporting these lawyers, immigration lawyers who go and coach these people. So they know. They know come to the United States, request asylum. Most of them don't deserve asylum, don't qualify, but it doesn't matter because they know how to game the system. The system has got to be changed because it's an antiquated system. They're abusing and taking advantage of laws that were never meant to apply to them. And yet Trump is 
essentially powerless because Schumer, Pelosi, and the Democrat courts refused to help him reform immigration and refused to help him try to deal with this mess. So instead, you have a system which clearly can be gamed, and yet the Democrats don't want to do it because they want to espouse their open border policies. Schumer and Pelosi, their egregious border policies are are, are destroying the country. And you know the irony? The irony is that it destroys... Who do you think it destroys more? Democrats or Republicans, these immigration policies, open border policies, abolish ICE policies of Schumer and Pelosi. Democrat voters are a lot more uh, impacted by this. And think about why. Because this is this kind of stuff affects the urban areas more than any place else. We're talking about areas with low-income people, minorities. You know, a lot of Hispanics live in these areas. That's where when gang members, MS-13 gang members, and illegals and criminals... Uh, when they come across the border illegally, where do you think they go? They go to these urban areas. They blend in these sanctuary cities. Those are heavily Democrat populations. So the Democrat voters are the ones who are impacted. Yet Schumer and Pelosi say, no, we really care about you. We're really trying to protect you. We're trying to protect the, protect the little guy. Ironically, they're hurting their own voters. Yet their voters go and vote for them again because they get brainwashed, because they buy in to the false rhetoric. All right, Rudy Giuliani says that Bob Mueller should be investigated for allowing the destruction of evidence. He says the text messages from Lisa Page and Peter Strzok on the phones that they used while they were working under Mueller. We told you about this for the special counsel. Those phones were allowed to just be completely deleted and it, it is they are irretrievable, the text messages. We have no idea what kind of anti-Trump biased text messages they sent while they were investigating President Trump. And Mueller says that, I'm sorry, Giuliani says that Mueller should be investigated. All right, big report from Jake Turks. Jake Turks, of course, the senior White House correspondent for Omni Magazine, and he has this exclusive bombshell. He says that a big part of the reason that Trump is pulling out of Syria was at the request of Israel. Apparently Israel, this is according to Jake Turks, Israel is planning this major winter offensive. They're going to launch a major offensive against Hezbollah in Syria here in the coming weeks. And they wanted the United States troops out. I guess they didn't want the, the I, I, it's not clear, but it seems to me they didn't want the U.S., to have to be in a very tough position where the Israelis are fighting Hezbollah and the U.S. kind of has to take sides. And it's it's beneficial politically, diplomatically for the United States to not take sides. That's what I'm assuming. And the report is that James Mattis, it seems, part of why he was upset was he doesn't want Israel to launch this offensive against Hezbollah. So we'll keep an eye. A lot of sketchy details here, but certainly very interesting report there from Jake Turks. A caller asked me, I said that the nuclear option, the problem with it is that once um, sorry, once McConnell uses the nuclear option, then the Democrats are going to use it every chance they get. And when they take control, which sooner or later will probably happen at that point, you know, McConnell and the Republicans will regret it. Somebody said, why can't they just use it once, use the nuclear option, change the rule to 50 votes, simple majority. And then after they're done getting the, the border wall funding, just change it back to what it was, to the filibuster, to 60 votes, to requiring 60 votes to break the filibuster, to change it back. And good question. They technically could do that, but once it's used, it's used. See, the issue is more. This is a traditional thing. The rules can be changed, but once the rules are changed once and then there's precedent, then the other party likes to sort of stick it in the face of the party that did it. Well, you did it once, we can do it too, and that would certainly happen. So once he uses it once, even if he changes the rules back, you can bet the Democrats will change the rules when they get control, and they'll say, well— Don't look at us. Look at Mitch McConnell. All right, that's going to do it for today, for the week. What an exciting week as we keep an eye on this shutdown. Thank you all, and we will see you next time.